Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, week three of Summer in the Psalms. So uh, you need to know this, or at least remember this, that, that this series this summer in the Psalms, each sermon really has nothing to do with the sermon before it or after it. It's really a summer of, of standalone sermons, and the only thing, uh, the only parameter that we have is that it has to be a psalm. So each uh, speaker is choosing their favorite psalm, and then we are preaching a sermon on it. So a couple weeks ago, we heard from Pastor Hunter on uh, rest, rest from Psalm 4. Then last week, if you're here, when our missionary from uh, Mexico, Jason Laffin, he preached on Psalm 1, the way of the wicked versus the way of the righteous. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some science-y things, some astronomy, some physics, some mathematics, as you can see here. And uh, just all of those things, I am absolutely proficient at none of them. Um, But I am a Star Wars fan, which is a fictional series um, about outer space, and so I do feel a little bit qualified. Um, But we're going to talk about astronomy, okay? And I vaguely had remembered, as I was preparing for this sermon, I vaguely remembered some things I learned in college in a class that I took almost 10 years ago to make sure that I was remembering correctly. I emailed my professor. He emailed me all these articles. And so I've got some some pretty amazing things for you. And I I don't even understand all of it, these facts that I'm about to share with you. But it doesn't doesn't cease to still, like, amaze me, okay, when I'm going to read through these things. And what we're going to talk about is just Earth's ability to sustain life. The ability for earth to sustain life, it is dependent on like an infinite number of factors. Obviously for life to exist right here, it is totally dependent on God. But the way that he has set it up, he has made earth and life here on this planet dependent on like an infinite number of factors. So listen to this, the fitness of the universe for life here on earth, just this one, there's one planet in the entire universe that has life and that has the ability to sustain life. It's dependent on a number of factors, including the relative strength of the four fundamental forces, which are gravity. I'll give you that one. Okay. And then it's, it's electromagnetism. I didn't know these things either, but I was still amazed when I'm reading this. Okay. It's dependent on gravity, electromagnetism, strong nuclear forces, weak nuclear forces. It's dependent on the smallest little units in our universe, atoms. It's dependent on the nuclear energy level of atoms spread throughout the universe, spread throughout the universe. Life on earth is dependent on things that are spread throughout the universe. Life here is dependent on the speed of the expansion of the universe. So our universe is known to be expanding. And if it expands too fast, then life here on earth, we're done. If it expands too slow, life here on earth, we're done. Okay, our life is dependent on the spacing and the frequency of supernovae. And so a little, I know a little bit more about uh, what a supernova is. So a supernova is when a dying star finally reaches the end of its life and right before it dies, or how it dies rather, it explodes. It erupts into this massive explosion. It sends star particles out there, these kind of rocky particles. I call it rock star material. Um, But it sends all this stuff way out into space and it really sends these nutrients, these elements that are essential for life, elements that we need for life to be sustained here on earth. That happens in a supernova. And just one of the reasons for a supernova 
Okay, or at least a very fortunate coincidence is that earth is lacking in those nutrients that we need for life to be sustained. Earth is lacking in nitrogen or hydrogen or carbon or oxygen. And so it just so happens that a supernova happens and it supplies the only planet that needs those things uh, with those nutrients and life continues. But listen, if a supernova, if it happens too close to the earth, then we're done. Like the spacing, the distance from the earth, it matters because it's too close. It, it could destroy the earth or it would at least just sterilize the surface of the planet, which means we're done. Or if it happens too far away, like if the star explodes and releases the nutrients, but it's too far away, then those nutrients never reach earth. And so our life and life being able to be sustained on earth is dependent on the supernovae, the speed of the expansion of the universe, these nuclear forces. And if any of these things were different, okay, if it was a little bit stronger, if the speed was a little bit more, if the supernova just happened a little bit less or a little bit further away, we're done. We're gone. Okay, for us to exist here on earth, everything has to be precisely as it is in, in the broad spance of the universe. Okay, so this now tells us just how precise the Creator's aim must have been in creating life. How exact the minute details that He went to. He finely tuned every single detail to an accuracy of one part in 10 to the 10th power to the 123rd power. This right here is a huge number, and so I started drawing it. What this number is... So what it is, is it's 100 and a lot. Um, and so like we, it, it, and this doesn't even actually cover the whole number. Okay, so really it would be a couple more pages. It'd be several more zeros, but I just thought that would give us a good example. Okay, so let's just, these are all the factors that have to happen in order for life to exist on earth. And if even one of those things, this is way more than 100 trillion. If just one thing out of way more than 100 trillion was off or it didn't work properly, then nothing would work properly and we wouldn't be here. Life wouldn't exist unless all these things are working exactly, doing their exact purpose. There's no tolerance in the universe, okay? The universe has a no tolerance system. Like if one thing isn't doing its part, like some gravitational pull is off, the universe isn't like, hey, we got you. No, it's like, no, we're done. There's nothing here. Life doesn't exist. So life is dependent on all these different factors and without these things working exactly, precisely, to extreme precision, then we do not exist. Every single thing out of way more than 100 trillion things has to be doing its job or nothing does its job. And we're not here. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because this is really important, okay? These articles that I was reading, they're not necessarily by Christian people or people who believe in the God of the Bible, but this, this is what's happening. A growing number of astronomers, physicists, scientists in their fields of study, they are now prepared to defend this idea that the universe uh, just gives every appearance that it was specially designed for life. Meaning the universe, these, these guys aren't Christians or, or, or believers. They're just saying it looks like there was definitely a designer behind this. Like this is way too exact. This is way too precise to have just happened. Somebody had to have made it. So there's this guy named Fred Hoyle who was an astronomer. He actually called himself an atheist. And yet years and years of study of astronomy, he came uh, to say this. 
He said, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with, I love that he says monkeys. He's monkeyed around with physics as well as chemistry and biology. And there are no blind forces we're speaking about in nature. If you just look at it, common sense interpretation of everything that we see is that there's some super intellect, there's some higher being. He knows a thing or two about physics and chemistry and biology. And why are we talking about this? Because today's message is on Psalm 19, which begins, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And it's clear, it's clear to Christians, and it's becoming clear even to non-Christians that there is a creator of the universe. And he knows a thing or two about all the sciences. And as physicists and and chemists and biologists, astronomers, etc., as they continue in their fields of study, they are discovering the truth of this hymn that David wrote thousands of years ago. That the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of All of creation is saying, hey, somebody created us. And as these astronomers continue in their fields of study, they're just proving over and over again this hymn that David wrote. And so now Psalm 19, it it is classified as a hymn. Like if you start reading through the Psalms, you'll see that many Psalms are different from one another. Some are very uh, sorrowful. They're a Psalm of lament or they're Psalms of thanksgiving or a Psalm that they only use for like coronation ceremonies in Israel. But this one right here, it is classified as a hymn. And what we know about hymns is that they are ultimately just God exalting. The easiest way to remember it, guys, don't think this is cheesy. Hymns, hymns are all about him. That is right. Hymns are all about him. They are God exalting. So hymns are going to tell us truths about our God. They're going to talk about things that he has done in history, miraculous acts that he has worked on behalf of his people, but they are God exalting. And when God is exalted to his proper place, when God is exalted to the highest place in our lives, and then everything else in our lives, they begin to turn and to work the way that they're supposed to. So him exalts God to his proper place. And when he's exalted the highest place in our lives, everything starts working the way it should. And so therefore hymns, they also express this deep desire of the human heart to experience life as God has intended. God has intended for us to experience thriving and abundant life. But it's only when he is exalted to the highest place in our lives. And every human, every, every heart on this planet knows that we are created to experience abundant life. Like you see, every single person has a, a version of the good life in their head and they're trying to attain it. And it's all different because, because as we learned a, a month or so ago, we've been twisted. You know, we're not sure what the good life looks like. We're not sure how to attain it. So we just try anything and everything But this hymn is expressing this desire like, hey, we're going to exalt God. And because he's exalted, we're going to experience life as God intends. David is showing us the way to abundant, thriving life. And so we're going to dive in to Psalm 19. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up your Bibles with me or pull one out because we're just going to be in Psalm 19 or flip open your phony Bible and uh, go to Psalm 19. That would be the Bible on your phone. And this is divided into three sections. So this first section that we're going to hit is the first couple verses of the psalm. And these things right here, what we're going to see are words being proclaimed about God. Section one, words about God. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Man, this is the perfect psalm to read in the morning. Right when you wake up. If you wake up with the sunrise, go outside and read this out loud on your porch. Man, if you live in a neighborhood, go yell this outside on your porch. That would be amazing. But start your morning with the psalm, with the sunrise, and read this out loud. It says, the heavens and the skies, they pour forth speech. That word that's translated pour forth, it's often used to characterize this river. This river that is just continuously running and rushing forth. It's this massive force of nature that cannot be stopped. It's this continuous current. So like a river the heavens are just constantly pouring forth praise, glory to God. Hey, someone has made me. And it says there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. It doesn't matter the nation or the country or the city or the tribe or the dialect. Every single people group on earth hears the language of the cosmos. And we see it and we're amazed by the canvas of the sky, these views from mountaintops, these photos of outer space. It's huge and amazing and awesome. And it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. Somebody created it in day and night forever and ever. The skies proclaim that God has made us. You think we're glorious? Look at the one who made us. So listen, there is no person. There is no person to whom God is not revealing himself. What grace. There is no person to whom God is not revealing himself. And Paul gets after this thought. In Romans chapter 1, he says, What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Man, we see the cosmos and we're supposed to at least think, man, surely someone has monkeyed around with physics, chemistry, and biology. Surely there's someone that created this. There's a higher being. And so we hear the message of the cosmos. Their voice has gone out into all the earth to the ends of the world. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, Everything that God has made, everything that God has created, ministers. Everything that God has made that we can view with our eyes, that we can experience in our lives, everything that God has made, it ministers for those who will listen. Day and night, everywhere, God is speaking to all people about himself. There's no person to whom God is not revealing himself. The cosmos shout out his name. Hey, there's a God. Someone has created us. Let's keep reading. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now hold on to that word hidden. Okay, we're going to just tuck it away for a little bit because it comes back at the end of the psalm and we'll deal with it there. But first we've got to look at why he's comparing the sun to a bridegroom and an athlete or a champion. 
Okay, he compares the rising sun to a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, a bridegroom. This is his wedding day. This is his wedding day. So this bridegroom is coming out of his pavilion, just absolutely beaming. He has his boys with him. And any day is a good day when you have your boys with you. Am I right? So they're misogynist probably doing and saying things to embarrass him, but there's boys. And then all of a sudden he sees his bride. The bridegroom sees his bride. And I've heard so many different people tell me that their favorite part of a wedding is, of course, like right when the bride comes out, but then they immediately look to look and see what the groom's face is doing. You know, what's he doing? The rising sun is like a bridegroom on his wedding day with his friends and, and beholding his bride. And this should, this should appeal to all of us. Like this should all resonate with all of us. But I think it especially appeals to romantics. So just in case this doesn't capture your attention, he, he compares the sun to another thing. He says, it's like a champion. It's like an athlete rejoicing to run his course. This is the moment in the stadium right before the game starts. This is like the shot to start the race or it's the first pitch or it's the kickoff or it's even when the team is, is just busting through their banner, just being spurred on by the crowd, cheering, cheering them on. Man, the adrenaline in that place and the heartbeat, the athletes can't even hear anything. They just see faces, but they just hear their own heartbeat in their ears. The sun is like a champion. It's like an athlete. It's like a bridegroom. And I think the reason that he compares the sun to these things is because these moments in life, a bridegroom beholding its bride, an athlete rejoicing to run his race, these moments are enriching. They are almost like life enhancing. And the sun, the sun by itself is same way. It's enriching, it's life-giving, it's energizing, it's sustaining. That's how God has made it. He's made it this way. And so you talk about the rising and the setting of the sun. That's what he's comparing these things to. We talk about the rising and setting sun. These are like the most photographed events ever. Ever, and they repeat every single day. Like you see these on repeat on your socials. You just see a picture of the rising sun or the setting sun because we're in awe of it every time. Why? Because no two sunsets or no two uh, sunrises are exactly the same. Each one is unique and, and we're in awe of it. It's beautiful and it's inspiring and, and magnificent and enriching and huge and cosmic. It's glorious and it's glory proclaiming and it's glory directing. The sunrise is intended to draw our attention to its creator. The sun bears witness to him. The cosmos bears witness to him. But David says, hey, there's a better way. The cosmos, the sun, the stars, they're amazing. We see God's glory in them. But listen, there's a better, more precious, more believable witness than the sun and the cosmos above. The sun and the heavens above, they proclaim words about God. But listen, we have our Bibles. David says we have scripture which contain literally words from God. And I love this moment because I love the huge and the cosmic beginning of this psalm. And then all of a sudden it's like starkly contrasted with this very small, this intimate, this humble meditation of the heart. We start reading about words from God. David says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. 
The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Man, doesn't that make you just want to get up and, and walk out of here and go to a quiet place and open up your Bible? That's what it makes me want to do. But Gary would have an interesting conversation with me if I did that right now. The statutes of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the ordinance of the Lord, all these things, they're synonyms for Scripture, for our Bibles. Scripture, he says, is perfect. It revives. It gives life to the soul. Listen, it was by the word of his mouth that God brought forth life in all creation. And then when we were dead in our sin, it was by the word become flesh, Jesus, that he revived our souls, restored us to him. Scripture is trustworthy. It will guide you in the right direction always, making those of us who might uh, tend to be simple-minded, it makes us wise. It is trustworthy. Scripture is right. It's straight. It's upright. It's correct. You align everything in your life to this because it's the only straight thing that exists. That You hold everything up to the Word of God. And when everything is straightened, there's this joy in your heart that you don't get from anything else. Scripture is radiant like a pure jewel or a diamond or the rising sun. And it gives light and liveliness to the eyes. Listen, God's word produces and protects life. It does not restrict life. God's word produces and protects life. It does not restrict life. And and let me clarify this, okay? When you start reading your Bible, there are restrictions listed in the Bible. There are things where God says, do not do this. And in that passage above, it said the fear of the Lord is pure. It's talking about the word of the Lord. When it says the fear of the Lord, it's referring to the negative commandments that are listed in Scripture. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Because God won't allow something that he has prohibited. Therefore, if you fear the Lord, if you obey his negative commandments, you endure forever is what it's saying. There are restrictions in Scripture, and he restricts certain actions and behaviors when he says, no, don't do this, but it's never to restrict your life, okay? He told Adam and Eve, he said, don't eat of this or you will surely die. Like, the good result of obeying that is that they they wouldn't die. It's never to restrict your life, it's to protect your life. Don't eat this, you will surely die. It's protect your life, which he has created. You think God's word is restricted? Like, no. It's not restrictive, it's protective. So let's say that you're going on a hike uh, with a friend and you go to this beautiful mountaintop and there's this massive overlook, this cliff right here and you just go to step up to the cliff just to see it, just to look at this uh, beautiful scene and your friend just for whatever reason, they just, they feel the need to say, hey, hey, be careful. And so then you look at them and you think, how dare you? How dare, this is America. How dare you infringe upon my rights and my freedom? And then for whatever reason, uh, they just take it a step further. No, no pun intended right there, but they just take it. They feel the need to say, hey, don't jump. And so you look at them and you think, how dare you infringe upon my freedom like that? And so you step up to that ledge and then you jump and then your life's over. Guys, God's word is to protect our life. If there's a restriction in there, it is still to protect thriving and abundant life. God created 
the cosmos. God produced life using perfect precision and accuracy to the degree of 10 to the 10th power to the 123rd power. It's all very precise and all very accurate. We're in awe of it and we should rightly be in awe of it and give credit to God, that is, until the creator of this very precise life tells us precisely how we ought to live. And then it's like, what? How dare you? What do you even know about it? As until we change our view of God's word, that it's for the production and protection of life, and it's not restrictive of life, until we change that in our minds, then it's only ever going to feel like a burden. It's not a burden, man. God is for life. When we read his word, we see God is for life. His book is freeing. It's not restricting. And if his book, if his Bible, if his word to us, if it ever hurts, well, then we have to know, we have to remember that surgery hurts. Okay, God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword, and people who hear God's word are often cut to the heart. The people who first heard the gospel in Acts, it says they were cut to the heart when they heard these things. But they're cut as in surgery. They are cut to repair, cut to mend and to make whole. We surgery, we have surgery on the soul to revive the soul. And sometimes, uh, somebody remind me, what is this called? That thing where you rub the things together and you stick it on the chest and you shock. Somebody... Yes, perfect. Yeah, that's what it is. But it is, and that's intense, is it not? When you rub those, you're doing that to revive somebody. It's intense and it hurts, but it's for revival. It is for your joy and for your life. God's word is for life. So test it, man. When you go home and open up your Bible, open up your Bible, ask God to reveal one thing that you can start practicing and see if it doesn't change you. Man, ask your spouse or, or your friend or your family as you commit to living to God's word. Ask them to, to watch your character and your countenance and see if it does not change you. Test it. What if we approached our Bibles not as a book to be read, but as a book to be lived? The Bible is a book to be read, not a book. Or Let's flip that around again. It's a book to be lived, not just a book to be read. Like if we were just interested, not just in knowing more and getting more knowledge, but in becoming more and becoming more like Christ. Eugene Peterson, he says that Bible reading, Christian reading, it's participatory reading. It's receiving the words of Scripture in such a way that they become interior to our lives. The rhythms and the images that we find in Scripture, they become practices of prayer. They become acts of obedience. They become ways of love. Christian reading, Bible reading, it's participatory reading. It always calls us to a response. Which is leading us to the last section of this psalm. David offers up words to God. The magnificence of the cosmos are proclaiming words about God. The perfection of God's word, it contains words from God. And when David engages both of these things, it prompts him to offer up words to God. This is what he says. Who can discern his own errors? God, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless and innocent of great transgression. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock 
and my Redeemer. Guys, everything that God says and does is with the intention that we would respond, seek, and know Him. Everything that He has written in this book, everything that He has done, these miracles, these miraculous works, the act of creation, everything is done with the intention that we would respond, seek, and know Him. Listen, David, he witnessed God's revelation and magnificent creation. He witnessed God's revelation through his perfect word. And this is moving us into what should be the climax of this psalm. It should be loud and it should be grand because we experience the radiant cosmos and we experience the the booming voice of God through the cosmos and then the perfect voice of God through his word. And this should be a loud moment, but it just leads to David on his knees praying this humble and broken and contrite prayer. Lord, have mercy and make me more like you. God, forgive me of my sin and keep me from sinning again. When I was growing up, I, uh, I played a lot of tennis um, and, and I was homeschooled, so I, which that explains a lot is what many of you are thinking. I can feel it right now. It's homeschooled. Homeschooled, so, so when I was in high school, I played in this private league uh, this private tennis league, and, and our team uh, was just okay, and, and I was just okay. I was like Covington's okayest tennis player, and um, I, I could get my way around, make my way around the court, and get some good shots occasionally, um, but I was, I was just okay. However, I was the best person on our team, which I ended up hating that because when you're the best person on your team that's just okay, that means you have to play the best people on other teams that are great and that are amazing. So every single uh, game that we had, I was playing the best people on these teams. And so one time I was playing uh, basically like this kid. When you're in a private league, like it doesn't matter your ages. You just kind of play whoever. But he looked like a kid. He was way shorter than me, didn't have any like scruffies on his face. Like he was just this tiny little kid. And so we're just warming up and hitting it back and forth to each other. And he comes up to the net and he's just getting some volleys in. And and we're not playing hard. He's just hitting them right back to me. I'm hitting them right to him at the net. And then just to get him back to his place uh, at the back of the court, I just lob a ball over him. Okay. So I lob it over him. And so it's going this way. So he's at the net. So he sees the ball, and so he starts running. So his back is to the net and to me, and so the ball comes, and it, and it lands right in front of him. So I'm just kind of watching him, just like, all right, we'll just start this uh, warm-up over. But uh, he runs up to this ball, and it lands right in front of him. And he hits it in between his legs, and he hits it directly back to me. And, uh, and I just have, like, this stupid grin on my face like I do right now when he does this. You know, like, he just hits it. It's this amazing shot. And what, what I wanted to do in that moment was just drop my racket on the court and throw up my hands and, and be like, I'm done. Just have mercy. I'm not, playing. I'm not playing this game. But I think a similar thing happens or should happen when we respond to the Lord. When we're confronted with the Lord, we see his perfection in his word. We see his glory throughout the universe contrasted with our lowly inadequacy. And we just throw our hands up. We stop our striving and we just respond like David. Lord, have mercy on me. (laughs) Have mercy. And remember that word hidden 
that we read about earlier in reference to the sun. It said, nothing is hidden from the sun's heat, the sun which produces energy to sustain life. So also, Lord, forgive my hidden faults. As the sun, it gives heat and it aids to sustain all life so that nothing, nothing will remain hidden from its heat. So also, God, let nothing remain hidden in me. Let nothing remain hidden in me. God, search me and know me and see if there's any perverse way in me. Get it out. Don't let it remain hidden, but bring it to the light. Bring it to heat. Expel what's harmful to me, what's harmful to my life. Like the sun, let your forgiveness and your grace now sustain me and energize me. Have mercy and forgive my hidden sins. But it doesn't end there. Okay, it doesn't end with forgiveness. It didn't end there for David. He didn't just want forgiveness for his past sins and then just keep receiving forgiveness for every other time he would sin in the future. I'm sure he wanted and appreciated that, just like I want and appreciate that forgiveness all the time. It characterizes my life. But David didn't just want forgiveness. He prays, God, forgive me, but now enable me. Enable me, keep me from willfully sinning. Help me to live according to your life-giving and life-sustaining word. And this is what we get in Christ. If you're in Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we get forgiveness of all our sins. He forgives us of all his sins, all our sins. We get that grace, but we also get the spirit, which enables us to say no to sin say yes to holiness, to say yes to God's word. My Christian author, Robert Alden, he says, as we begin to read the Bible and study the Bible, it moves us to a consciousness of sin. We become uh, drastically aware of our sin as we study this Bible. Yet we also have in us this sensitivity for holiness. As we start studying the Bible, we'll see that, that we haven't kept everything. We haven't done everything. And so what will we respond with? We respond with, Lord, forgive me for I have sin. We are aware of our sin. We start becoming very sensitive for holiness. We desire holiness. And so we pray, God, make me more like you. Enable me to keep your word. To obey what you have spoken. Study of the Bible moves us to a consciousness of sin and to a sensitivity for holiness. And I would say that study of the cosmos, study of the stars and the sun and the moon, study of the cosmos, it leads us to a consciousness of our smallness and to a sensitivity for humility. To see something so grand and think, surely there is someone greater than I. Surely someone has at least monkeyed around with physics. And God is looking for that confession, looking for the one who seeks him because of his revelation through the cosmos and through his word. Everything he says and does is intended to prompt a response that we would seek him and know him. The cosmos, it declares words about God. In our Bibles, we have words that are literally from God. And as we engage in both of these things, it prompts us to get on our knees and offer up words to God. Words from God. We offer up words to God. So this week, 
as you leave this place, man, spend a little bit of time looking at the sun and the skies, and then along with them, along with the sun and the skies, they're already doing it. Praise God. And give glory to God. If you wake up with the sunrise, man, go out, step outside on your porch and read this psalm out loud to start your day. And so open up your Bibles. Open up your Bibles. They are life-giving. They are reviving. Even if it hurts, no, it's for surgery. It's for your joy. It's for your life. And then respond to God. As you read your Bible, respond. Thank you for having mercy on me, Lord. Now make me more like you. God, just show me one thing today as I read your word. Show me one thing today that I can start practicing. Respond to him. Study of the cosmos moves us to a consciousness of our smallness, to a sensitivity for humility. Study of the Bible makes us aware of our sin, but it makes us sensitive for holiness. So go, and today or tomorrow, very soon, open up your Bible and respond to your Creator. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for the grace that you would reveal yourself to us through a variety of ways. God, your praises are being uh, proclaimed from the heavens. God, we look at them when we think, surely there's someone greater than I. Lord, we have this very reliable witness in your word. They are words from you. God, it further reveals your glory and your perfection. God, and what it proves to us is that you are for life. You don't restrict life, God. You are for life. You protect life. You are for abundant, thriving life. And you show us the way in your word. So, Lord, we pray. God, that you would forgive us for where we've fallen short. God, that we would know that we always have your forgiveness. But Lord, we don't want to just stop there. Enable us to keep your word and enter into this thriving, abundant life. Lord, may the meditation of our hearts, these words of our mouth, be pleasing to you. Oh God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Church, thanks so much for being here. And come back next week as you hear a totally different sermon in the book of Psalms. We'll see you about next week.